Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of Tamara Green, a 27-year-old mom who was murdered on April 30th, 2003 in an apparent drive-by shooting. Tamara Green was working as an exotic dancer and had allegedly performed at a party attended by the mayor of Detroit. Rumors began to surround Tamara's murder, but was her death connected to the mayor or was she simply at the wrong place at the wrong time? This is Tamara's story. When a black woman or woman of color goes missing or is murdered, we know that the police and the media don't pay much attention to those cases. But if those women live what's perceived as high-risk lifestyles, then the likelihood that the mainstream media or the police will take the case seriously becomes even more slim. And so the murder of a black stripper from Detroit who had three children and dated a drug dealer was low on the priority list. The fact is that Tamara's death only gained the attention that it did in Detroit because of her alleged connection to disgraced former mayor of Detroit, Kwame Kilpatrick. There isn't a lot of information about Tamara's early years or any details about her parents or what her upbringing was like, but we do know that Tamara was a native of Detroit. She grew up on the east side of the city, and she went to Martin Luther King High School, where she graduated in 1994. 
When Tamara was 17 years old, she gave birth to her first child, a boy, and she named him Jonathan. When Tamara was 19 years old, she gave birth to her second child, this time a girl, and she named her Ashley. On the podcast Crime Town, they interviewed the father of Tamara's daughter, and he said that when he met Tamara, she wanted to be a nurse. She was in school, taking her prereqs for nursing school, and working part-time to earn money to support her and her children. But the couple broke up not too long after their daughter was born. And so by the time Tamara is 20 years old, she has two young children to take care of. And although the origins of Tamara's decision to become a stripper are unknown, being a young single mother may have had a lot to do with her decision. And according to her daughter's father, she soon started to realize that her body and her looks could help her make even more money. Now, for some women, you know, stripping is a means to an end, a fast way, you know, to make a lot of money. And perhaps for Tamara, that was her reason too. Tamara began stripping at a local club in Detroit, and she started going by the stage name Strawberry. Tamara was beautiful, and she definitely had the body to match. Tamara soon became well-known in the world of exotic dancing, and she became popular among some of Detroit's elite, especially politicians. She not only danced at clubs, she would also dance at private parties, too. In an article done by Detroit News about Tamara, they interviewed a man who identified himself as Tamara's attorney and confidant. And he said that God gave her that body and that she knew what to do with it. And if it was a high roller party, she was definitely the girl to be there. At 26, Tamara gave birth to her third child, a girl that she named India. But it's not clear who her daughter's father was or what their relationship was like. Now, according to people who were close to Tamara, she liked bad boys, and she had dated a few drug dealers in her time. But no one really knows what Tamara was into. People knew she was a stripper, and she had dated some local drug dealers, but other than that, no one was really sure. The rumors are, however, that Tamara was allegedly helping people commit check fraud and use several aliases. She had a relationships with what the media called drug kingpins, who she would allow to drive her car so they wouldn't get pulled over by the police. But like her death, Tamara's life also holds a lot of mystery. In 2003, the city of Detroit was a city that saw itself in a steady decline. But in 2001, a new mayor had given the city some hope. In 2002, Kwame Kilpatrick was elected as the youngest mayor to win that office at just 31 years old. Kwame Kilpatrick, a Detroit native, was a young Black man who seemingly cared about his community and Detroit as a whole. But despite serving two terms as mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick's time as mayor was littered with controversy from almost the beginning. There were allegations that he used city funds to finance a Lincoln Navigator, and he used the city-issued credit card to charge massages, dinners at expensive restaurants, and expensive wines. Kwame Kilpatrick, by many accounts, was loving too much excitement and thought that he was the king of Detroit instead of just the mayor 
and an elected official, a public servant. In the fall of 2002, however, rumors began to swirl about a wild party at the mayor's residence. The alleged party involved a number of strippers and some of Detroit's top politicians and businessmen. But no one who was alleged to have attended the party ever acknowledged that the party took place. And with no corroborating evidence, the story eventually became somewhat of an urban legend. So what does this have to do with Tamara? Well, Tamara was alleged to have been one of the dancers that attended the party that night. And according to the rumors surrounding this party, Tamara was allegedly giving the mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, a lap dance when his wife Carlita walked in and saw Tamara on top of him. Carlita then allegedly attacked Tamara and had to be pulled off by the mayor's security guards that were there. That alleged party and the attack by the mayor's wife would be connected to Tamara's murder for years. But was it true? In April 2003, two weeks before Tamara was killed, she was dancing at another party. Now, this party was a far cry from the mansion party with the mayor and the politicians. This party took place at a residence inn and was attended by local drug dealers. At the time, Tamara was dating a man named Eric Mitchell, who was also a local drug dealer in Detroit. He would apparently attend parties with Tamara and hang out with her at the clubs that she worked at. Now, the night of the residence inn party, Tamara was attacked again but this time by a man who she had gotten into an argument with. The man allegedly punched Tamara in the face twice, blacking both of her eyes, before Eric Mitchell stepped in to help. According to the articles about this, the two men then began fighting, and Eric got the upper hand. Now, the attack this time had left Tamara with two black eyes, but... If she didn't dance, she didn't make any money. And so less than a week later, she was back to dancing. And she wore sunglasses to cover up her bruises. That same week, however, the BMW that Tamara drove was shot up while it was parked on a street in Detroit. But at that time, there was no one in the car. And it was being driven by her boyfriend, Eric Mitchell. Now, if you don't understand the lifestyle that Tamara was living, it might be hard for you to understand why she didn't just lay low. I mean, she had gotten in, you know, a fight, she had two black eyes, and her car was just shot up, and that happened all within two weeks. But in order to live the life Tamara lived and see the things that she saw, you gotta gotta be built for tough. That life is not for those that scare easily. And Tamara's primary focus was getting to the bag. Nothing was going to stop her from doing that. On April 30th, 2003, Tamara finished dancing at the club she worked at on Detroit's 8 Mile. Eric was there that night, and so when the club closed, the couple left the club around 3.40 a.m. and drove back to Eric's home. According to Eric, he and Tamara stayed outside in the car talking for a little while, when suddenly a white SUV pulled up alongside the couple. 
Eric said that a light-skinned man holding a gun reached out the window and opened fire on them. Eric, who saw the shooter pointing the gun, was able to duck down, but Tamara never saw it coming. Tamara had been shot three times. Now, Eric was able to run from the car. He was shot too, five times according to the police, but he was able to flee the vehicle and call a friend for help. When Tamara was shot, the car was still in drive, and so it drifted forward a little bit before coming to a stop. And Tamara was pronounced dead at the scene. The initial reports about Tamara's death was that she was just an unattended casualty and that the shooter was probably targeting Eric Mitchell, who was, at the time, a well-known drug dealer in Detroit. By many accounts, though, the investigation into the murder of Tamara Green was pretty much non-existent. The way the case was handled would only add to the suspicions about who Tamara's killers really were. A few weeks after Tamara was murdered, her case ended up on the desk of Lieutenant Alvin Bowman, who worked in the homicide unit. He recalls in that interview with Crime Town that one of the sergeants came to him and told him verbally that the victim, Tamara Green, had possible ties to the party at the mansion. Lieutenant Bowman said that he asked for the police file, and when he reviewed it, he claimed both evidence and reports were missing from the file, and that the file was being kept in a place that was accessible to many people. And so Lieutenant Bowman's suspicions would be the first time that questions about Tamara's death would come to the light. Up until Lieutenant Bowman reviewed the file, most people thought that Tamara was just an undetended target of a beef with her boyfriend. So the fact that there was evidence and reports missing from the file sent up red flags for Lieutenant Bowman. But that wasn't the only thing. Lieutenant Bowman had noticed the type of bullet that killed Tamara was a 40 caliber bullet, the same type of ammunition used by Detroit police and the Glocks that they carry. Now, Bowman said that it was unusual for a murder to be caused by that type of round. Bowman said that most people in Detroit carried 9mm Smith & Wessons, Colts, or Rugers. He claimed that most of the Glocks in the city were being carried by the police. The kinds of gun used was not the only thing that raised suspicions for Lieutenant Bowman. He also was concerned about the number of shell casings that were on the scene. Now, the initial reports were that 12 shell casings were discovered at the scene, but he had information from cops that were on the scene that there were more than 12 shell casings at the scene. Now, Bowman believes it was closer to 18, and that the amount of bullets is proof that someone wanted Tamara dead. Now, Lieutenant Bowman started to tell his fellow cops his suspicions about what happened to Tamara, and that he believed that cops were involved. But not too long after Lieutenant Bowman started voicing his concerns about the case, he was transferred from homicide and put on night duty at one of the precincts. According to Lieutenant Bowman, he was told that he was asking too many questions about the Tamara case. 
Now, Lieutenant Bowman would continue to speak out against the investigation, or lack thereof, and insisted that Tamara's murder was at the hands of Detroit police. Lieutenant Bowman, however, was not the only officer who thought that something fishy was going on. Several other officers over the years have come forward claiming that they were silenced when looking into Tamara Green's case. And several of them, including Lieutenant Bowman, filed lawsuits against the city of Detroit for violating whistleblower laws and retaliating against them in connection with their investigation of both the mansion party and Tamara's murder. Many of the officers who were involved with Tamara's case say that they were told to basically leave it alone. But it wasn't just the cops who were allegedly threatened. An EMT who said he treated a woman at a gas station who gave him the name Tammy Green and told him that she was at a party and that she was attacked by the mayor's wife was also threatened. The EMT claims that he was told not to repeat the story. So according to all of these witnesses, they were threatened by high-ranking officials who didn't want the mansion party or Tamara's murder investigated. But why? Well, many people suspected that Kwame Kilpatrick, in an attempt to hide yet another scandal so early in his tenure as mayor, had Tamara killed so she would stay silent, not only about the party, but also about the attack by his wife. So in the years after Tamara's murder, the rumors about her murder and the mansion party faded from the headlines. Kwame Kilpatrick continued to be mayor despite the ever-growing controversy surrounding him. He was also re-elected in 2005 to a second term. Now, the investigators who were handling Tamara's case quietly concluded that the death was a result of a drug dispute. But Tamara's family did not believe the police. And in 2005, they sued Kwame Kilpatrick and other city officials for sabotaging the investigation into Tamara's murder. In 2007, a whistleblower lawsuit was filed by two former officers who said that they were retaliated against for their attempts to investigate misconduct by Kwame Kilpatrick's bodyguards in relation to that alleged mansion party. During that trial, it was also alleged that Kwame Kilpatrick was having an affair with a staff member. But when he was asked about the relationship under oath, he denied it. The denial was a lie. And when text messages revealed that Kwame Kilpatrick was indeed having an affair, he was charged with perjury. In 2008, Kwame Kilpatrick pled guilty to perjury and resigned as the mayor of Detroit. He was sentenced to four months in jail, but released on parole after 99 days. The city lost the whistleblower suit, and the two cops received a $9 million settlement from the city of Detroit. In May 2010, Kwame Kilpatrick was arrested again for violating his probation, and this time was sentenced to eight months to five years in prison. Eventually, Kwame Kilpatrick was charged and convicted of mail fraud, wire fraud, and racketeering. He was sentenced to 28 years in prison, and that's where he was until he was given a pardon by Donald Trump at the end of his presidency. 
In 2011, after years of being held up in the courts, a judge dismissed the lawsuit filed by Tamara's family. The judge said that there was no evidence to support that the defendant, Kwame Kilpatrick, through his actions, had obstructed the investigation. The family appealed the decision, but in 2013, a higher court upheld the ruling of the lower court. Tamara's family continued to fight for justice and answers. Despite the rulings by the court and their position that there was no obstruction of justice, Tamara's family still believed that both Kwame Kilpatrick and the city of Detroit knew more than they were saying. Now, the police had apparently named a suspect during the 2011 trial, but had made no arrest, which is strange, since they said they knew who it was. And one of the reasons that the lawsuit was filed was because the city had failed to actively investigate Tamara's murder. So why not make the arrest if they had a name? Like the family attorney questioned, if they have the suspect, then why are they not making the arrest? The murder of Tamara Green remains unsolved. It was never a priority to the Detroit Police Department to solve her murder. To them, Tamara was just a stripper who dated drug dealers. They probably believed that it was her fault because of the life that she led and the company that she kept. But her life mattered. I don't know if she was the victim of some elaborate murder-for-hire plot or if she was simply a victim of a drive-by shooting. But I don't think that the police did enough either way. And the reality is, is that if there was evidence to support the police involvement, it's been destroyed. Tamara was a mother of three children when she was murdered. They had to grow up without their mom. They had to grow up with the rumors surrounding her death, too. It's been 18 years since Tamara Green was shot to death. Her family is still seeking justice. And whether she was a stripper or a nun, she deserved to live. And her killer deserves to be brought to justice. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new story. Don't forget to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps our show grow so we can continue to tell these stories. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Black Girl Gone Podcast. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.